Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. It's scary to believe that we're nearly at episode 50. It's been mental. It's nearly a year old as well. I think it's about three weeks away from being a year old. Um, and it's it, it's mental. And it's been a, a crazy few weeks with kind of getting the exams done. And thank you so much, guys, for the messages. I'm really excited for this week's guest. I've been following Richie for quite a lot, quite a long time now. And his content uh, makes all the kind of the complicated stuff that's out there regarding nutrition. But he simplifies it for kind of general population. And that's why I've kind of got Richie on today. So this this week's guest is Richie Kerwin. So he's known as B underscore more underscore nutrition on instagram he's a nutritionist owner of be more nutrition an online coach he's also the host of his own podcast the health scientist podcast which is available up on itunes and spotify he hosts a q a every weekend and he has some amazing guests on that as well he has a bsc in biological sciences from ucc in ireland he is currently doing a phd in candidate nutrition exercise and cardiac cardiac rehabilitation in liverpool in john moore's university he has an MSc in Nutrition and Metabolism from the University of Barcelona. He is a published author in peer-reviewed scientific journals, and I am buzzing to have Richie on. Thank you so much for coming on, Richie. Thanks for having me, Shane. I'm uh, really uh, happy to be here. So, Richie, first of all, for anyone that isn't aware of you on Instagram or anything like that, can you kind of tell us your story, how you got, and got into your field, um, and all things nutrition, how you got, kind of got into that space? Yeah, sure. Um, so, when I... When I was younger, when I was in my teens, I was actually uh, overweight um, and uh, basically I used to eat a lot, didn't do any exercise at all and it got to a point where I was uh, kind of sick of it and I decided to make a few changes. Um, I started reading about uh, diet, um, I started changing my diet, uh, exercising more um, and that's kind of how everything uh, happened or started for me. Um, and. I was initially going to get into nutrition science uh, when I was going, you know, when I went to university. But my parents actually kind of pushed me away from that, just because at the time, back in the day, this is a long time ago, uh, nutrition probably wasn't considered, uh, you know, a really viable career option for um, for people. Uh, which is, uh, it's probably a bit of a change uh, to, to today's uh, environment. Um, so I went and did environmental sciences in UCC. So that gave me my my background in biological sciences. Um, uh, ended up specialising in microbiology and did nothing with that uh, when I left because I ended up teaching uh, for a few years abroad. Um, and uh, the thing is, I was always interested in um, in nutrition. I was always interested in exercise, and basically, I just kept learning and reading about it. And it got to a point where I was thinking, okay, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? And it was obvious that the only thing that well, the thing that I was most passionate about was nutrition. So it just made sense to go back and get into it properly. So I went and did my master's in Barcelona, did that for a year, ended up living there for probably three years, set up my company over there initially. And um, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's how I got into nutrition itself. And then I got to a point where I wanted to um, get a little bit further into the academic side of things. So I decided to do my PhD and I was very, very lucky um, to find a PhD that was literally right on my alley, so to speak, here in, um, in Liverpool. So it's, uh, I remember reading the title and it was like Mediterranean diets and high protein diets and resistance exercise and cardiovascular health. And I was like, I remember at the time I said to my girlfriend, I said, Jesus, this, this is for me. I, I have to get this. And, um, and I did. And 
so that is what I'm I'm working on now. And you seem to be flying it as well. Uh, you had you had you won an award recently as well, which is the following on Instagram as well, which is which is great. So it's great to see you flying it as well. And you see mental busy. We were talking off air as well about kind of uh finding balance and stuff like that but it's it's a good it's a good way to be busy when you're it doesn't really feel like work when it's kind of something you enjoy absolutely it's um it's completely different i think uh if i wasn't passionate if i if i wasn't in love with what i was doing right now i i would be miserable um but i'm i'm happy being this as busy as i am right now i'm, I'm very happy because i'm doing something i enjoy you know that's amazing um so the big thing that's kind of going on at the minute um is game changers on netflix and it's one of those questions if i had hair i would have pulled it out by now and my mates i did a q a today and my mate sent in about 20 questions asking about game changers because they know it irritates me so much <laughs> so just to, to clog my feed um so i've you get i think we've all been asked questions about game changers at this stage so can you kind of explain what the basic premise of it is for the for general population and what's your take on it and what's the academic reviews on it as well? Yeah, big, big question. Um, so Game Changers itself, it, it was a, a movie that was supposed to, or the whole idea of it was to show that uh, vegetarian or plant, well, in their words, plant-based diets are um, optimal for sports performance. Um, and it did this initially through the premise um, of, I'm going to say, male masculinity. So it was basically playing on um, men's insecurities about themselves to try and get people to follow this diet. So they started off with a conversation about the gladiators of Rome being um, they, uh, having plant-based diets, and they were you know, some of the best athletes in today, apparently. Um, it did multiple tests with, uh, they use a lot of uh, athletes from NBA and from the NFL in the States. Um, uh, to, to do different tests on plant-based diets. They you had a lot of uh, firefighters in the movie as well, and they even kind of uh, stooped down to the level of uh, doing tests on boners to see if um, if men would uh, pay attention to these plant-based diets. I stopped watching it at that point. I haven't seen the full movie. I stopped watching when they started testing the boners. <laughs> uh, just for anybody who's listening, no, they sure. You don't have to worry about that. It's still a PG movie, uh, I would imagine. But yeah, I, I don't blame it. It was it was a tough movie to watch because so I, I was really uh, you know if anybody who knows my philosophy on 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 food, I, I think people should be following a plant based diet. But my my uh, concept of a plant based diet is a diet that's high in plants and it can still have dairy products and meat and eggs and whatever. You know, it doesn't have to be exclusively plants. And um, this movie. Basically, the documentary, and I say that in inverted commas, uh, tried to highlight animal-based products as being, let's say, negative to health in all you know possible ways. You know, as in, you can't have any level of animal products in your body because it is unhealthy. Um, it won't be good for your circulation. It won't be good for your boners, etc. Stuff like that. And I just. It was incredibly biased, and um, they cherry-picked a lot of their data. And what I mean by that is they, they, they highlighted data that was promoting plant-based diets, which there is absolutely loads of, because, like I said, plant-based diets are fantastic. Um, but they used it in a way to make people believe that animal products were 
um, one of the worst things you can put into your body. And, and we know from a huge body of scientific literature that that's just not the case. And that's what disappointed me, uh, disappointed me about the uh, movie about the movie it could have been very good it could have just promoted plant-based diets and said yeah you can have lots of plants you can you can get healthier with all these things but it went down the other road of just trying to demonize uh, animal-based foods it's uh like i'm all for as you just said about kind of getting more uh, most people don't eat enough vegetables into their diet so i'm all for that but the biggest thing that's probably behind it is potentially the bias as well arnie has a supplement company Jackie Chan has a supplement company. James Cameron, the director, has a supplement company. The people who were interviewed in it have links to supplement companies that are vegan towards that kind of realm as well. I think BioLane or Lane Norton did an, uh, an amazing article on it and it breaks it down brilliantly. And it's, it, yeah. it's, it's if, you, if you don't follow BioLane on Instagram, please head over to him. He does an amazing very articulate it's very well written and he breaks it down to exactly what it is like the, the basic premise of it is plants are great but the way this kind of breaks it down the people that are in it are genetic freaks as well they're the top of the top they're the nfl players if they can eat chicken wings or kfc before a match fair play to them and then and then go and play matches all credit to them but they are the genetic Absolutely. freaks uh, and, that, and that's a huge thing is because like you know genetics play a massive role in sports you know as much as people don't want to say it and say it's all about the grind and it's all about the nutrition and stuff like that if you do not have the genetics to be a top performer you are not going to be a top performer and no amount of um you know good food and and supplements legal supplements at least anyway uh, are going to get you um you know into the into the upper echelons of, of sports performance it's just not going to happen um i suppose one of the big things with the with the game changers movie was and this is the thing that everybody talks about and you know if you've seen any pictures in the movie it'll be the, the picture of the blood test that people did and that was like i remember like like you said like pulling out my hair as i was watching this because it was such a ridiculous test because what they did was they, they had um, some athletes come in they they gave them a, a meal uh, one of them was a, a regular meat burrito uh, with beef in it and another one was a black bean burrito and what they did was they analyzed they took a blood sample afterwards to, to see um, uh, what their bloods looked like and they did something ridiculous in that they took out the blood they spun it down so your blood separated into different was cloudy in one, which was the, the animal, uh, the, the beef burrito, and it wasn't cloudy in the other. And they said, well, okay, if you can see here that uh, this is cloudy and that's fat in your blood, that's 100% true. That is what it is. It's fat in your blood and that's perfectly normal. When you eat fat, you get um, an increase in the amount of fat in your blood after a meal. Um, the problem is, is that's dependent on the quantity of fat in the meal. Um, and it's actually dependent on a few other factors. So if you give somebody a meal that doesn't have very much fat, like beans, for example, your fat levels in your blood are not going to increase. And another thing is if you give somebody beans, which are very, very high in fiber, fiber slows down the uh, absorption of fats from the intestine, which means you're also going to have a lower amount of fats in your in your serum as well. And um, that's a really, really clever test because it, it's a perfectly accurate test but it's performed in a, a small population. I think they had um, just two guys when they were doing this test initially. Um, and then there's there's no context to it. There was no, let's say, so one thing 
that we do in science is we try to account for confounding variables. So anything that can you know, change the results of a test, we want to make everything the same except for one little thing that we can tweak and we can say, okay, that this little difference in, in a diet is, is what caused the problem. And then with, with their test, there, there was no there was no kind of uh, accounting for any of that. You gave somebody a high-fat meal, which was the beef burrito, and you gave somebody a low-fat meal, which was the, the, the bean burrito. You're going to get vastly different um, results. Um, and it, it's just, it's a problem because it uses science to fool people. And that's something that I, I, I just can't agree with myself because it, it is literally intentionally um, fooling people about a concept. Yeah, I think that that's you've hit the nail on the head there. It is, it's it's fooling people. Um, yeah, it's as Eamon Dunphy said, or yeah, Eamon Dunphy used to say about Cristiano Ronaldo. It's a bit of a card. Like it's it's just it's it's just. I had to throw in the Dunphy quote. I had to, it was in my head. I had to do it. Um, yeah, they are fooling people. It's it's I would like I would like the plant based thing is the key out of it, but not the rest of it. It's just scary how many people are potentially going to Netflix for their information rather than other sources, like potentially listening to the likes of your podcast or other people's podcasts or uh, going on to like even pop a question or pop a DM off to somewhere else, even going to their doctor and, and kind of speaking to someone a little bit more educated or a little bit more in the know than an actual documentary because the person making the documentary was a former UFC fighter there's nothing against UFC fighters but he was injured and his education the education for it was while he was injured it wasn't like over a few years it was over X amount of days that he was looking for the the information and the art the, the gladiator point that he made was wasn't even a journal article it was a an article full stop it was a piece of literature on a website it wasn't a published journal or anything like that and that's where he made that point from which is quite scary and it, 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 is, it is ridiculous when you think about it because like cause you know yourself you know about how to how to research information you know how to, to go to the correct sources for information and okay like, I'll just ask you, how many times have you uh, opened a history book for nutrition information? Zero. Yeah, there you go, right? And he's talking about the diets of people who lived over 2,000 years ago. We have no idea what they were eating the full time. Like, we can say that they had more of this or more of that. We don't know if they were, were performing optimally. Um, you know, if they were eating a plant-based diet, would they have done better on a, on a plant-based diet with some meat? We don't know because it happened thousands of years ago. It's just... It's the most ridiculous premise to start the movie, and like 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 you said, that was that was the first scene in the movie. Basically, he, he the first kind of mention of nutrition in the movie, and I was like, oh my god, this is going to go downhill quickly. You know, um, yeah, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I think I think we've probably given it too much airtime that it actually warrants. I think a lot of people have, but everyone gets their fifteen minutes. Um, so like like. The majority of my clients would be weight loss clients, and you have an amazing. You've put up a great post when it says the science behind weight loss is simple, but the lifestyle changes needed means are not easy at all. Can you kind of go into that a little bit more detail and kind of what you're kind of alluding to at all? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so I did that post. Um, that was a post that I did off the back of a similar post, um, which was talking about a body fat settling point. Um, and, and body fat settling point, it's a it's a theory that um, it's 
it's, it's not an airtight theory, but it's just a theory that we, we kind of use to make some assumptions about weight loss. And it kind of goes along the lines of, we have multiple different aspects of our environment. Um, we have our diet, we have our exercise, we have uh, stressors, we have sleep, we have a whole host of different factors. And if any of those get out of whack, they can affect us in the sense of, they can affect our bodies in the sense that we might want to eat more. So for example, sleep is a perfect example. If you don't get enough sleep, we know for a fact that appetite increases. We also know that um, hedonic hunger and hedonic uh, impulses to eat uh, high fat and high sugar foods increases um, after a night of poor sleep. So that's one example. Um, And we also know that some of these factors can affect the amount that we move. So obviously, you know, if you're not exercising, you're not moving at all. Um, if you have a poor quality diet, it can lead to uh, lower levels of NEAT or um, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So people just move around fidget less if they have a poor quality diet. Um, so all of these different factors, and there's a huge amount of them. I only, I only spoke about a few of them in the post that I did. Um, but they all have something to do with how easy or how hard it is for us to lose weight. Because at the end of the day, we all know that um, if you want to cause weight loss, the cause of weight loss is a calorie deficit. The issue with that statement is that getting into a calorie deficit and get deficit and maintaining it is a very, very difficult process for some people. Because some people, um, you know, some people who might have been living their entire lives with poor diets, no exercise habits, terrible sleep habits, loads of stress. Um, Basically, those people have been living their lives in a way that promotes obesity. It promotes inactivity and it promotes overeating of food. And it is very, very difficult for those people to get out of those habits. Um, And to bring about changes in those habits, we need to bring about serious lifestyle changes. Um, So it's, it's not as easy to say to somebody, get into a calorie deficit. How do you do that? Okay, well, like I can, uh, if somebody's got a highly processed diet and you put them into a calorie deficit, there's a very, very good chance that they're going to feel really, really hungry really, really quickly um, because high processed, highly processed diets are generally really bad for satiety. You know, they're, they're low on fiber, they're generally low on protein, uh, high in sugars. So one thing that you can do is you can, you can improve the quality of their diet. So you can get them eating more fiber, um, eating more fruit and vegetables. You've got more volume coming into their, into their diet. Um, you get more protein into their diet, uh, more whole foods. And what that automatically does is that makes it a little bit easier for them to eat fewer calories because they've got more volume, they've got more satiety. Um, another thing that you might need to work on is, is are, are their sleep habits. You know, if people are sleeping poorly, they are going to be one suffering probably from a little bit of um, insulin resistance, which while not directly related to their fat loss, it can definitely affect their, their metabolic health and you know their, their risk of getting diabetes. So helping people um, to sleep better, teaching them what they need to do to improve their sleep hygiene, getting them sleeping, uh, you know, more sleep hours, getting a higher sleep quality can really, really improve their, or reduce their hunger and can then probably improve the way they're able to face their day, they might be able to exercise a little bit better if they're not feeling so tired. That has a massive effect. Stress levels are similar as well. When people are stressed, uh, people stress eat. Simple as that. Uh, When people are stressed, exercise goes out the window. People don't want to do it. If people control their stress, they don't need to do that stress eating anymore. They, they, They might... Instead of being stressed, then and they can use exercise to combat stress as well, but they might be able to exercise a little bit more. So there are a huge...
amount of factors that we need to take into consideration when, when helping people get into and maintain a calorie deficit. Um, like as much as, like I said, the science is very, very simple. Get a calorie deficit, you will lose weight. That is very, very true. But getting into that calorie deficit is a nuanced approach that needs to be worked out with, with individuals and it takes time and it takes effort and it takes tears and people just need a lot of patience and to be really, really persistent to make it happen. Yeah, I'm delighted you kind of mentioned the whole patience thing. And one thing that I find when I'm working with my online clients and my face-to-face clients is that I have a general consultation with them and we I kind of try to suss out when their what their time frame is and what, like what's their goal or whatever it may be. I don't really believe in crash dieting. It has its place in kind of like the elite sports or bodybuilding or whatever it may be. But that can that has other implications on their health, mental health, all that kind of stuff as well. So what I try to say to people is, what they come to me and say, oh, I want to lose like three stone in say twelve weeks. But what we, what my argument back is, well, how long is it taking you to put back? How long is it taking for you to put that weight on? And then you're trying to get me to kind of reverse, maybe could be 10, 15, five years of potentially less nutritious food. Uh, potentially less exercise, potentially just bad habits over time, stress, sleep, some a bereavement in the family, something could have something could have triggered this emotional eating or whatever it may be. And it's just kind of you trying to tr- tweak little small little changes, whether it be your sleep, putting the phone downstairs, getting an old school alarm clock, that could have the smallest implication towards your sleep, but could also have the biggest implication because it can, like as you've alluded to already about your kind of sleep, it can affect a hunger hormone that can be imbalanced. You're potentially going to reach for less savory foods or less or more processed foods and they're not going to fill you. You're going to be like, where's the rest of it? And just for keep reaching and keep reaching, that vicious circle is going to come. So I'm delighted you've kind of mentioned uh, patience. Um, the other thing that we kind of spoke about when we were talking about game changes what was regarding fats and that fats has been given this bad press and it's one of those things that's been in the media quite a lot and it still continues to be in the media um and one of the posts you put up was does the type of fat you eat affect your fat storage or your health can you kind of go into this a little bit more richie yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, fat, fat has a very, very unusual reputation in um, in nutrition. Um, or it's probably not so unusual now when we think about it, just because you know uh, an article will come out and it'll be slammed fat, and everybody will, will think, "Oh, right, fat's the worst thing." But then another article will come out and say, "Oh, no, fat's not that bad." And people are like, "Hey, put in my coffee." Um, and <laughs> and you have the same thing happening with carbs as well because people are like, oh yeah, carbs are great. And it's like, oh no, carbs will kill you. It'll give you diabetes or whatever. And it's just, you know, people love to, um, I, I like to think of things in terms of a pendulum that people like to swing to one side. The, you know, people like to think that we have absolute truths on one side of the pendulum or swing and uh, or an absolute truth on the other side. Whereas, you know, in, in reality, in nutrition science, we know that that, that area in the middle, that middle ground, that's somewhere where the, the truth lies. Um, with, with fats, so one thing I kind of preface um, the kind of what I'm going to say with is that so fats were initially thought that if we had too many fat, too much fat in our diet, it would be unhealthy. We know that that is not the case because um, there's a lot of studies that have shown that you know higher or 
or moderate fat diets can be very, very healthy. But what's important is the type of fat that's in it. So, for example, when I did my um, my master's in Barcelona, I worked in a uh, investigation group, a research group called the PREDIMED group. And that's probably one of the most famous um, research groups for the Mediterranean diet. And they basically gave their, uh, their patients, their subjects, a diet that was... It was 38% fat, um, which is, you know, compared to like what a lot of people would eat, that's quite high because considering, you know, some bodybuilders probably go down as low as 15 or even 20% fat. Um, and they had incredible improvements or in their or decrease in their rates of uh, heart disease, um, which was incredibly impressive. Uh, and what was important about that is not the quantity of fat, but it was probably the quality of fat that they were taking because they were eating a lot of monounsaturated fats um, from olive oil. And some of them got it from uh, from nuts and seeds as well. Um, and so just, we have to bear in mind that fat is not a single compound. Fat, have, there are multiple different types of fatty acids. We have um, got our standard saturated fats, we've got our monounsaturated fats and polyunsaturated fats. And, just to kind of, just for anybody who might not be familiar, like our saturated fats are in things like a lot of animal products can be quite high in saturated fats, like so meat, uh, butter, cream, things like that are quite high in saturated fat. Um, Monounsaturated fats come from things like olive oil, uh, a lot of nuts like almonds and things like that. You actually get quite a few uh, monos in uh, some animal products as well. Um, and then the polyunsaturateds come from a lot of seeds and uh, we also get a really good source of polyunsaturates in uh, oily fish, so things like salmon, uh, tuna, mackerel. Um, and they all have different effects on the body. Um, and one of those things was a study that I, I did a little infographic on recently, and it was about the difference in how uh, fat storage can be affected by um, uh, saturated fats or unsaturated fats. And basically it looked, uh, it was an interesting study. So they, they had a group of people and they fed them um, they fed them a special diet, inverted commas. They gave them muffins, um, and the only difference in the muffins was the oil that was used. So one, uh, one type of muffin had uh, palm fat, and we know palm fat, which is a vegetable fat, actually, this is a good point. Palm fat is a completely vegetarian, vegan, plant-based source of fat, which is incredibly high in saturated fats, just like coconut oil. Um, and uh, the other one was high in uh, sunflower oil. And that's a high in polyunsaturated fats. And what they noticed uh, over, it was over a few weeks of the study, they were overfeeding them with about 700 calories a day. So they're going to gain weight, simple as. But they noticed that um, they gained the same amount of weight. So that's not particularly um, you know, fascinating. They, they, they ate the same amount of calories. They gained the same amount of weight. But what they did was they looked at where the, the weight was gained. Um, was it stored, uh, gained as... Uh, lean mass, which we often think of as being muscle or fat mass. And they noticed that the palm oil group actually stored a lot more of that weight as fat mass and a lot less as um, lean mass. And the, uh, the unsaturated fat group, the sunflower oil group, they actually gained less fat mass and they gained a little bit more lean mass. Now, like one thing I should say about that is when we say lean mass, we often automatically assume that it's going to be pure muscle, and that's often not the case. Um, so, like you know, we, we can have extra storage of carbohydrates, we can have extra storage of water in muscles. Um, you can also have extra storage of uh, very, very 
very small molecules of fat within muscle as well, um, which for athletes can be beneficial. Um, so that's something to bear in mind. But it's just interesting to note that you know you can have different effects on storage and uh, of fat based on the type of fat you eat. And like saturated fat, as I mentioned there, was much more easily stored as body fat in these people. Um, and it was interesting because there was an increase in what we call visceral fat. And visceral fat is the type of fat we have around organs. And we know that that is metabolically quite unhealthy. Um, the higher level, the higher levels of visceral fat are usually related to a lot of problems like things like diabetes, insulin resistance, uh, cardiovascular disease, um, you know, uh, blood lipids that are all over the place. Um, so it's it's one study, and this is one thing I tell to people all the time. It's one study. It is one piece of a much larger puzzle. But it's an interesting piece that I just wanted to kind of highlight in my story. Uh, I'm not saying that you can't eat any saturated fat because, well, one thing that, that would be absolutely impossible to do considering all fat sources have some saturated fat in there. Um, but uh, it's just an interesting observation. No, it's it was definitely, that's what caught my eye, uh, apart from like the, the way you lay out your graphics, which are, which are amazing. And I'm definitely going to ask you when we come off air how you kind of get them to look that way and what way you work them. Um, and one of the things that's kind of like also talking about, spoken about, should I say, in kind of the industry, the fitness industry and kind of the nutrition industry is pre-workout. So pre-workout is one of those things that you see a lot of people just going, so as soon as they come into the gym, going over to the vending machine and putting in their money and going to get the pre-workout and shortly after they will start to get the tingles in their face. Um, it's one of those things that a lot of people, I don't think they realize what's actually happening to their body when they're taking it or do they actually need to take it in order for their workout? What would you, like what, can you kind of explain to the the listeners what happens to your body when you take pre-workout your heart your body and should you rely on them for for training gotcha so yeah that's a bit of a can of worms um uh and i'll go into why that is but one thing that we i kind of have to be clear about is that all pre-workouts are going to be different um because pre-workouts are a mixture of different um, substances that all have individually different effects um, the end goal is for you to perform better in, in your workout um, now uh, you can do that in a lot of different ways now a lot of them are stimulant based and the stimulant based ones will all have caffeine so caffeine is, is the big one so we all know that if you take caffeine you are going to be able to perform better basically you'll have um, uh, less feelings of exertion when you're doing caffeine. Um, it's been shown to improve uh, concentration. Uh, so if you're feeling tired and you go into a workout and you take some caffeine beforehand, you're going to be able to probably lift a little bit more um, and not feel as tired doing it. So that's one of the reasons caffeine is so good. The problem with caffeine is, like you said, if you go into your gym and you um, are going to, you know, you know, you're, you're going to hammer like an hour session in the gym and you take your uh, pre-workout as soon as you walk in the door, you're only going to get benefit probably for the last 15 minutes of your session because it takes about 45 minutes for caffeine to peak in your bloodstream. Um, so like if you're going to take a pre-workout, one thing, time it right. So like, you know, take about um, whatever, half an hour, 45 minutes, 
before you go into your session so you can actually feel the, the benefits of the caffeine. But that's just the caffeine. Um, another thing that pre-workouts often have, and this is one thing that really, really annoys me, is uh, creatine. Um, and the reason for that is, if you think of most people who like uh, lift recreationally, they probably go into the gym maybe three or four times a week, for example. Um, and that means that they're taking their creatine uh on those three days just before they go in and they're often underdosed with creatine they probably you know you're lucky if you get three grams of creatine the thing with creatine is creatine needs to be loaded into your muscles so we we need to take a certain amount of creatine over a certain period of time to saturate our muscles with creatine and we need to maintain that dose by taking creatine every day if you take a if your only source of creatine is a pre-workout um, you are not getting the benefits because your muscles are never going to get to the point of being saturated with creatine. They'll probably be higher than they, they were if you didn't take the pre-workout, but it's a very, very small dose. And to feel those benefits, you need to saturate the muscles with creatine. And what creatine does is it helps improve power output in the muscles, and it does that by helping to recycle ATP and Everybody knows, like, ATP is a, it's a little chemical that, you know, we call it the, the energy currency in the cell. Basically, the more ATP you have or the more you can recycle ATP, the more uh, of an intense uh, output of energy you're able to, able to do and you're, the more you're able to put into your workout. So people often find if they, if they start taking creatine, they can lift heavier. And if you're able to lift heavier, you're able to stress your muscles more. If you stress your muscles more, you're able to grow more. You get muscle gain. Um, so that's how kind of creatine is, is uh, associated with, with muscle growth. I I think you know people are better off just take buying creatine, a bag of creatine, and you know taking it every day. I, I don't care if they put it into a shake or if they put it directly onto their tongue or if they snort it or whatever. Just take it every day. Like that's that's what they should be doing. Um, uh, just, just to cover my own ass on that, please don't snort creatine. Um, I'm glad you said that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> got to be careful. About that. Um, so, so that's creatine. Uh, that's and that's another one. Uh, the next one, and this is the one you, you mentioned it kind of uh, with, with the um, you mentioned the, uh, the the itchy feeling that you get, uh, and that's caused by something called beta alanine. And beta alanine is it's a food supplement um, again, uh, and what it does is it actually helps to buffer uh we call it buffer hydrogen ions but the best way to think of it is when we exercise we produce uh, lactate or lactic acid in our muscles and that lactic acid when it builds up to a certain level can actually inhibit muscle contraction so uh, if your lactate levels build up during a set for example if you're if you're uh, doing you know a high rep set of bicep curls you're lifting you're lifting the closer you get to failure the reason you're feeling that failure is partially because of uh, build up of lactic acid within the muscle. If you if you take beta alanine, what it does is it buffers those hydrogen ions that come from the lactate, um, and it reduces that feeling of um, of uh, let's say muscle pain as you're exercising. So you may be able to get a couple more reps in, and again. You get more reps in, you're getting in more volume. Eventually, over time, that leads to more muscle growth. Um, so that's why beta-alanine is good. The problem with beta-alanine is exactly the same as creatine. Beta-alanine needs to be loaded. And beta-alanine probably needs to be loaded a lot better than um, uh, creatine just because, as you mentioned, if you take beta-alanine, you feel uh, a tingly 
sensation in your skin. It's called paresthesia. And I, I remember actually the first time I took beta alanine. So I, I've never, I've only taken a pre-workout supplement twice in my life. But every other time I've had any pre-workouts, it's always been um, something I've mixed at home. And the first time I mixed up um, my first one, it was a high dose of beta alanine. I'm going to say it was about five grams, which is a, a, a decent whack. And I remember sitting down having my breakfast. I took this just before my breakfast. I was sitting down eating my breakfast, like, you know, really excited about going to the gym. And next thing, I felt my face. Um, and I didn't know what it was, but I, I suppose the best way to describe it is if you imagine what it would feel like for your skin to dry out completely and start to crack. Not in a painful way, but just that sensation. And I was like, oh my god, what's going on? And then I realized, oh shit, yeah, this is the, this is the beta alanine kicking in. That was the first time I felt it. Um, but people like that feeling because they think, oh, I feel something. That means it's going to work. I'm going to be able to power through this workout. But you need to load it again. And, you know, you need to load it with a specific dose um, initially, and then you need a maintain- maintenance dose. And if you're just taking it, you know, a, a tiny little dose, it's probably going to be, I know, if you're lucky, there's probably 1,500 to 2,000 milligrams um, of beta alanine in most pre-workout supplements. You're going to feel the paresthesia. You'll think it's working, but it's not really doing anything for you at all if that's your only source of beta alanine. Um, and that is, um, yeah, I just, I, I just think it's pointless. Um, you know, if you're going to take it, take it as a separate supplement and take it the way you're supposed to take it, and it can genuinely have benefits on uh, performance. Um there's a, there's a lot of these different things that I could go into. Uh, the, the only other one I would mention is citrulline malate, which is, is used as well. Um, and again, citrulline malate has been shown to improve performance, and it does that by improving blood flow to the muscles, by um, uh, helping to synthesize nitrate, or sorry, nitric oxide in the muscles. And nitric oxide, when we release it in our blood, it helps to expand our blood vessels, you get more blood flow. More blood flow means you can do more reps. You know, you're seeing a bit of a pattern here. This is how you how you grow. Uh, citrulline malate can be genuinely beneficial, and you only need to take it like you know about a, an hour before a workout. The problem is, you need a big dose of citrulline to get it. Like you know, we're talking maybe six to eight grams of citrulline malate, um, and most supplements you're talking maybe two to four thousand milligrams, which is it's it's just it's just not enough. So yeah, I'm I'm not a huge fan of pre workouts. People like them because you know they, they feel like they're all going to go into beast mode and they're going to be uh, you know lifting weights like Ronnie Coleman um, when they take them. But uh, you know it, it doesn't work out that way uh, for most. Um, you know if you if you want to take take some caffeine, drink a, drink a strong coffee before you go into work, and that's exactly what I do. Yeah. Um, and that's usually enough to do it. Yeah, forty five half an hour to an hour, an hour normally beforehand. Take a cup of coffee. And you'll you'll feel it will it will hit you at the beginning of your session rather than you said when you most people are taking their pre workouts is when they walk into the gym, and they're straight into it and then they get the effect of it the last fifteen minutes and then they're tingling for a little while afterwards and they don't, like they're it's just wasted, um so yeah that, I I love that the fact that you've gone through all the different that the most of the chemicals and stuff like that that are, um that are in it, um the other thing that like the 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 second message I think this is the the one that resonates with me the most because I deal with predominantly fat loss uh, with clients and stuff like that is that you are not your diet, that you shouldn't be seen as as your diet. You shouldn't be attached to a diet. You shouldn't be attached to like, oh, I'm keto, I'm vegan, I'm plant or whatever it is. Can you kind of 
expand on this a little bit more because I think this is I think this is the paramount point to the whole podcast. If I'm being honest, this is because general population, mo- most of them want to lose weight at some point in their life, and they yes. a lot of us, a lot of people do go for the all or nothing approach, uh, and it's it's important to kind of realize that it doesn't have to be the all or nothing approach. Uh, when it comes to a diet. So can you kind of elaborate a little bit more on you are not your diet on that post? Absolutely. Um, so that post came about um, because of a podcast that I did with um, a fantastic dietitian uh, here in the UK called uh, Sophie Medlin. And um, we wanted to have a chat about diet culture. And um, one of the things that we talk about is that people who are doing certain diets tend to associate um, or identify themselves based on their diet. So you will have people who um, they they do a keto diet and they identify themselves as keto, uh, or they do a low carb. They identify as low carb. They identify as carnivore, as vegan. They identify as plant based or whatever. And you know, it's 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 really easy to see this in things like um, uh, social media, especially Instagram, because you know you'll have people's handles. You know, you'll have like a keto Steve or you know, um, vegan bill or, you know, just, just all of these names. And you know, when you see these names that this person has identified with their diet. And what I mean by identifying with your diet is that, um, obviously diet is what we put into our, into our mouth. It's, uh, what we eat. But when people feel benefits from a diet, you know, say for example, somebody uh, has lost weight for the first time in their, in their life. Let's say they, they do it by following a vegan diet, right? They've lost weight. They're, they're feeling better. They're feeling healthier than they've ever felt in their life, which is absolutely fantastic. And I don't ever want to take away from the, the, the that feeling um, of uh, accomplishment that somebody gets when, when they have lost weight, because it is very, very special. But they associate all of these feelings with that diet and that diet might you know like i said if it, it could be a vegan diet now you and i we know that what caused them to lose weight is that they started eating healthily for the first time in their life they they had a, probably had a crap diet beforehand and suddenly they became let's say and this again i'm, I'm saying vegan but I'm, I'm just using that as an example they started eating more vegetables they reduced the amount of calories they were eating considerably they might have started, you know, other health-promoting uh, activities like exercising. They might be sleeping better. They might have done a complete lifestyle overhaul. Um, and all of those individual parts are what caused them to get healthier and to lose weight. But they associate it with being vegan. And it almost becomes like a religion, whereas your beliefs become dogmatic. And what, what I mean by that is, like, every every uh, diet culture or fad diet has a, a certain... Um, amount of core tenets to it that people believe to be absolute truths. So, for example, if you're a keto dieter, you believe that you need to be in ketosis to lose weight, and that's the only way to lose weight. Again, we know that that's not true at all. Um, you don't need to be in ketosis to lose weight. You can lose weight in, in a high-carb diet where you never get into ketosis at all. Um, but these people believe it, and they associate their being and their self-worth with it. And the, one of the issues is that they also manage to find other like-minded individuals. And then when that happens is you have groups forming and those groups genuinely become religious groups um, where people will defend their beliefs and the tenets of their, their dietary belief system, you know, like viciously. Um, as in, if you say anything that goes against their beliefs, you are wrong, you are a 
attacking them. You are um, you're just you're, you're deluded. You're you know you're you're selling out, or you know you're you're being paid by big pharma, or you know if you're if you're doing it to a keto group, you're being you know you're selling out to, to big potato or whatever. You know whoever gives the uh, the, the low carb the high carb people uh, all their money, um, and it's a major issue because. People are defensive about religion. We know that from the past because people are defensive about beliefs, things that they associate themselves with. That's why we've had religious wars, you know, over the best part of human civilization, and it's absolutely ridiculous. And it's the same thing that happens in social media these days. That people, you know, and it happens on on Instagram a lot. And I, I don't like it, and it's it's one of the reasons I, I kind of I stay away from the the argumentative side of. of um, Instagram, but people will make comment. If, if I make a comment, for example, um, showing the benefits of a uh, a low carb diet, somebody will attack me saying, "Why are you promoting low carb diets?" You know, uh, like you know, we know that like uh, fat is bad or whatever, or you know, ketosis is bad, and people will make all of these absolute statements without any logic because it's just like, "Oh, this is not my belief system. It's wrong. I have to attack it." Um, and that is one of the major issues that I find with with this uh, diet culture where people are associating themselves or identifying themselves with a specific dietary practice. I think it is one of the worst things people can do because as soon as you do it, you close your mind to logic. You base everything off of dogma, off the, the belief system of whatever diet fad you're in, and you don't listen to logic, and you don't listen to science, and anything that goes against your beliefs, no matter how accurate or science-based it is, it is incorrect, and people shut down, and, and that, it, it terrifies me, um, because um, creating a cult is a fantastic way to promote an idea. It is, it, it is amazing, because... And people know this, like people have, have written about this in, in marketing, you know, the, the importance of creating a cult, um, because people will defend an idea that they believe in, um, you know, to their dying breath. Um, but it is incredibly counterproductive um, to nutrition science. Um, yeah, those are my thoughts on it. I think I, I, I might have gone into it a little bit more than I should have. <laughs> no, no, the more, the, the, more the, the information or the more points we have on it, the better, because I think it is paramount that people do realize that there are different cultures there are people that are keto it's the same thing with the fitness some people are crossfit some people are bodybuilders some people are various hit trainers or whatever it may be it's just finding what works for you and how your body reacts and how you makes you feel and if it works for you and it's not impacting on your health in any way well then work away and more than especially if you're doing like crossfit or something like that I was very lucky to have Michael Smith and Emma McQuaid, two CrossFitters from the CrossFit Games this year. And we spoke about kind of the, the negative size that's potentially publicized in the media and stuff like that. But their biggest thing is like, it's like get work with a coach, work with someone at the beginning, get the baby, the foundations in and then enjoy it and kind of go from there. It's like with the nutrition side, I'm not kind of doing, I'm going to do like a shameless plug or anything like that for all of our services, but it is, like if you're unsure of anything, why not try to go out to someone that potentially is in the know a little bit more than you, even if it is just ask a question, even if it is just booking a phone call or whatever it may be. It's like you and I trying to, like if you have someone, you're like your PhD supervisor or something like that and you're unsure of something, you go to them and reach out. It's like me or like we were speaking about Dean who was on the podcast, Dean McAloon. 
um he's like he reaches out kind of for business stuff like that to suit it like there are different kind of avenues he can kind of get in so it's 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 important to kind of not stay in one lane and kind of try different little things that may work for you um yeah. and like as you said you you have trained for quite a while now and your training is kind of taking a step back due to your schedule and stuff like that but you're still managing to get do to do it and you're still enjoying it it may not be yeah it's it's just one of those things um the kind of uh, just just to, to kind of yeah there was one thing that you mentioned that i thought was really really important and it was like about finding something that that kind of suits you uh, when it comes to um your diet um and that is incredibly important but if you if you encounter somebody who is who identifies with a specific diet and you know you say hey could you help me lose weight or something like that their go-to is going to be you have to do x y and z diet um, so like, you know, if you're talking to keto, Steve, he's going to say, oh, dude, you need to do keto. Uh, it's the only way you're going to lose weight. Um, and then somebody might try keto and it just might not suit them at all. And they absolutely hate it. They might lose a bit of weight initially, but then they might just regain afterwards. Um, that hasn't done them any favors. Then they might speak with vegan Bill and vegan Bill say, oh, do go, go all plant-based, um, and you lose weight. And then that might not suit them either. Um, and then in the end, it might be a conversation with, I know, um, flexible dieting Francis or something like that, that, uh, that gets them into a little bit of a more balanced. Uh, yeah, I see you're happy with that choice there. Uh, gets them into a little bit more balanced uh, approach to like just saying, okay, I can have a little bit of everything, um, you know, and get you know a really really uh, high quality whole foods diet, and you know get a little, little bit of this, have a little bit of ice cream every now and then, have a burger, you know, a couple of times a month, and you know that might be exactly what they need. But you know, if if you're speaking with somebody who's incredibly dogmatic and not open to other options, you're not going to have that. No, and that, like like with anything, you should be able to argue both sides or make the point for both sides if you're going to have an opinion on something. And I'm a firm believer on that. You should be able to argue. Like keto, keto works for some people. It has its place with with various different ailments and illnesses and stuff like that. And it definitely works for some people. But you need to ask yourself, can you see yourself adhering to this lifestyle or a diet? Like you shouldn't be in a diet all your life, but you should be able to adhere to some sort of balance uh, or lifestyle. 20 years from now like i couldn't imagine being keto for 20 years i think i think i'd be very upset <laughs> i'm just uh, I, i'm thinking about ice cream right now that's that's <laughs> literally all that's on my head <laughs> I, I, now that you said it i'm gonna go get an ice cream uh my clients know me as the, the magnum a day kind of guy <laughs> that's my thing um what the one of the other things that is kind of out in the press and i was i was i was out with my cousins last night and they were kind of asking me uh like nutrition questions you know yourself when you're with your friends they kind of ask you all nutrition questions it's like can i please i don't want to talk to you about finance can we please just like talk about something else but one of the one of the things that came up was kind of like um sugar in in various different products and stuff out there and one of the ones that came up was uh the protein milks that are out there and what like there's one brand in particular i'm not going to mention it uh was very very like they looked at the back of the label for the first time they just saw 27 grams of protein on the label and they were like right that that must be healthy but then they looked at the back of it and it was i think it was like 30 percent or 35 percent sugar and they couldn't get over how much sugar it was and that kind of led into a question from a q a last week and i thought i'd kind of get yourself to talk about it is is sugar that's out there or sugar in people's diets or sugar in general causing causing weight gain 
uh, in, in today's society? So yeah, that's a, that's a good question, and it's 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 really nuanced. Um, and sugar is definitely kind of at the forefront of um, a lot of conversations in in the media right now. Um, and th- there are a few reasons for that. So I, I suppose one thing to say is with obesity um, and with with weight gain, the thing that's going to drive it is calorie excess. Okay, so somebody having excess calories in their um, in their diet. Uh, that's, that's, let's say, the, the causal driver. Obviously, now there's reasons why people will overeat, um, which we kind of we touched on earlier. Um, but when it comes to getting food into your body, um, sugar is a really, really easy way to get calories into your body. Um, and that can be in the form, especially of drinks. So, for example, like you mentioned, those protein milks there. Now, I, I, um, I've never actually had one myself. Um, but uh, like I, I can imagine, you know, they're sweetening them up, and they're not using an artificial sweetener. They're going to be pumping a lot of sugar in there to make them taste nice. Um, and if you can, if you consume too much sugar, that so much that it puts you into a calorie excess, you're going to gain weight. Um, and there are issues with with gaining weight from sugar itself, because you know we we know that excess sugar um, in the context of a, a, a diet that leads to weight gain can result in a lot of metabolic issues in the form of um, increased uh, triglycerides. Um, and then, you know, with, with the, the fat gain that comes associated with it, we have issues with, uh, you know, potentially developing insulin resistance and, you know, future diabetes and whatever. It's not to say that sugar is the cause of that, but getting, becoming over, which is caused by the sugar, is the issue. Um, so, I say to people is there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of sugar in your diet. Like, God, I, you know, it's probably obscene the amount of ice cream that I eat. Um, but you know, ice cream makes me fit and happy, and it, it you know helps me stick to my diet. Um, but I would say to people that it shouldn't make up a large proportion of your diet for a few reasons. One, like I said earlier, incredibly eat overeat. Um, you know, you, you can put sugar into a drink and you can you can nail a 500 milliliter bottle of, of Coca-Cola or, or Fanta or whatever. You, you can just, you know, down that in a few seconds if you, if you want to. Um, and that's, you know, a few hundred calories right there. Um, the other issue is that it doesn't improve satiety. So, you know, you, you're, you're not going to feel full after eating 200, gram, 200 calories uh, from a, a sweetened uh, drink. Um, you're not going to feel full at all, and you know it's risk, it, there, there's the risk that you might end up eating even more. Whereas if you have 200 calories in the form of a protein bar, you know, you've got fiber there, you've got protein, which has a, you know, a satiety effect, um, you know, you're probably going to stop at that. Um, so I think reducing sugar in somebody's diet is an easy win for a lot of people, especially if they drink a lot of sweetened beverages. Um, so I often say to, to clients, if I know for a fact, like, you know, haven't gone through their diet, that they, they eat, a, they drink a lot of, uh, you know, fizzy drinks, I'll say, okay, let's just switch these over to, um, you know, a, a sugar-free version. Um, and that's, that's an instant way to, to knock a few hundred calories off somebody's diet to get them to, to start losing weight. If they start losing weight, they're going to be healthier probably. Um, so yeah, um, I, I just don't like the this idea that people have that sugar is 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 evil or that you know it's it's the worst thing in the world. Everything has to be taken into context, and um, I suppose a really really good phrase with that is the, uh, the the devil is in the dose. You know, um, a little bit isn't going to to be a problem, but you know, too much whatever that may be in, in 
the individual's context is too much and you know you, you should avoid uh, having too much sugar in your diet but if you have a you know a predominantly whole foods based approach to, to eating sugar is probably not going to be an issue at all yeah and i love the way you've talked about uh, substitutes so like simple ones is if you're having normal coke switch to diet coke or coke zero like it's it's a simple thing like if you if, and we live in ireland and there is a drinking culture in ireland and most people go out over the weekends and they probably mix in coke with their their mix as their mixer why not switch to kind of a, a diet version or a coke zero whatever it may be and you'd save yourself x amount of calories and that could be the difference between you kind of uh, potentially losing a little bit of weight or potentially stalling or potentially putting on weight. So it, it's small little tricks. Uh, and I actually prefer the taste of the diet or the Coke Zeros than the actual full versions. I, I The full versions mess up my stomach uh, as well. Uh, I, I, I only ever drink them kind of if I know I'm out. Like last night I only had one Diet Coke. I, I wouldn't drink them rarely, regularly at all. Um, but like it, it, it's just I love the way you've kind of brought up the substitutions thing and the ice cream thing again um, uh, so what's coming up next uh, for, for Richie in kind of business and with your studying and, and everything well business at the moment is very very much um, it's not something that I'm focusing on developing right now um, Like so I do coach on the side but I have kind of my, my group of clients at the moment and I'm uh, just because I'm very, very much focused on my PhD right now. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sticking with that. Like I'm not taking any, any new people on because I just couldn't handle the, the extra workload. So my main project is the PhD. So um, I, I've just finished my first year of the PhD, which was a huge amount of planning for an intervention that we're going to be running. Um, and what we're looking at is, um, so it's basically going to be working with people doing cardiac rehabilitation. And cardiac rehabilitation is for people who've had some sort of a cardiac event, you know, it might have been a heart attack or heart failure or something like that, um, or they might just be at high risk. And normally in the UK, cardiac rehabilitation is cardio-based uh, exercise, so like aerobics and things like that, uh, just to improve heart function. And then you get a little bit of diet advice, you know, just to kind of cut back on calories and stuff like that. But it's not as good as it should be. So we think that um, by giving people a, a modified diet, so when we say modified, it's going to be like a high-protein Mediterranean-style diet, and by getting them to do more resistance-style exercise, um, we think that we can improve the amount of lean mass that they have, so the amount of muscle mass they have in their body, and we think that that will have uh, potentially some benefits on uh, reducing their risk of future heart attacks. Um, so we're hoping to get our intervention started um, next year. Um, so uh, for the next couple of months, I am um, head down uh, trying to set everything up at the, the hospital that we're going to be working with, and with the doctors and you know the uh, the cardiac rehab specialists that we're going to be working with. So just to make sure that everything works smoothly so um that's that's me for the next next few months and next couple of years as well yeah like it, it sounds really really interesting um and it, it, it's great to see you're flying as well um anyone who isn't following richie up on social media please please do it's at b underscore more underscore nutrition on instagram the infographics that and the meta detail that he gets into it squeeze into those info, infographics is, is incredible and the posts are written in layman's terms so that everyone can kind of understand it and i've like some i've started pushing some of my colleagues onto your content so they can kind of like because they've started asking me questions and if i wasn't sure about them like i obviously researched it and kind of 
put people towards whoever I feel will be able to answer the question better than I would. Um, and that's the best way to do it. So Richie, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Um, for anyone who has listened to this, please do tag myself and Richie in your, in your stories. Um, it's up on iTunes, up on Spotify as always. Please do leave reviews up on iTunes as well. Uh, so Richie, thank you so much for coming on today. I really do appreciate it. Shit, it was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much.